Uh, we're going to begin in, uh, in Hebrews 11, but very quickly make our way over to Joshua 5, so you can place your finger there. Hebrews 11 is a, a series of case studies of the faith of real people under real circumstances. Uh, we have worked our way through uh, a number of these now. We've been in Hebrews 11 for a number of weeks, and uh, we're just about done this morning and next week, and then the following week. We will be done with, with Hebrews 11. This morning we're going to talk about the Israelites at Jericho. Next week, Rahab. And then we'll bring the chapter to a close uh, as that goes. Um, verse 30 of Hebrews 11 simply says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. So it's a very brief statement, as, as with much of what we've seen in the chapter already. We need to look back at what the Old Testament says to understand the significance of what's taking place. And so let's turn to Joshua chapter 5. While you're turning there, I'll give you just a little bit of background. As Joshua opens up, the, the second generation of Israelites uh, enter the promised land. Their parents had died in the wilderness. Everybody uh, 20 and over, uh, 20 was the cutoff age, perished in the wilderness. might have been that everybody 20 and younger survived. But the the parents died, and they died because of unbelief. They wouldn't enter the promised land. Uh, they, They disbelieved Joshua and Caleb when they came back and said, we can do this, God can bring us through. And so the Lord said, fine, you're going to stay here in the wilderness. And he brought their children in. Um, They crossed over the the Jordan River just as their fathers and mothers had crossed over the Red Sea. God parted the Jordan for them, and they crossed over on dry land. They weren't being chased by Egyptians, and it wasn't Joshua holding up uh, a staff. It was the priests entering the river itself, carrying the Ark of the Covenant, And when the Ark of the Covenant, when the feet of the priests got into the water, then the waters parted, the people crossed. But they crossed in a miraculous way. Uh, They they circumcised all of the men. um, And then they took time to heal up from that procedure. As they camped, they they crossed over uh, on the north end of the Dead Sea. Not the Red Sea, the Dead Sea. And they were within five miles of the city of Jericho. You could probably see the city as they came up out of the the river valley and the river plain. They could see the city off in the distance. It was the first obstacle. They'd been told, their parents had been told, you're going to go into the land and you're going to capture the land. You're going to kick out the people that are there. You're going to take it for yourselves a little bit at a time. God said, I will be with you. I will accomplish this for you but now it's come down to the actual reality of it and it's a it's a fascinating event that takes place and i think that it it actually has some direct application to our lives today especially in the area of evangelism and i'll explain that as we go through beginning then at, at joshua 5 verse 13 It says, now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, a man was standing opposite with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? 
He said, no, rather I indeed come now as captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, what has my Lord to say to his servant? The captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, remove your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So Joshua is, is out. He, he's on the eve, perhaps, of, of leading the Israelites to battle against Jericho. This is, this is why they're here. He knows that. And he's wondering what they're going to do now. Jericho was an old city. It was many thousands of years old when Joshua came up to it. It had been a walled city for a long time. The walls, according to archaeology, were between 12 and 17 feet high. It may not sound very high to us, but at that time, it's the late Bronze Age. At that time, the only weapons that anybody had were handheld. Axes, swords, daggers, maces, bows and arrows, slings. There were no catapults for another thousand years. So a 12-foot high wall was pretty impregnable. They're watching it. They can see the city. It's, the gates are locked. And Joshua is perhaps trying to figure things out when he sees this, this figure, this man standing there with a drawn sword. <clears throat> and he identifies himself as the captain of the host of the Lord in the New American Standard. Other translations say commander of the host of the Lord. The sense here is commanding general. It's the highest position in the Lord's army. Then he tells Joshua to remove the sandals from your feet for the place where you're standing is holy. And I really hope that reminds you of Moses at the burning bush when he approaches and the Lord speaks to him. And before anything else can take place, Moses has to remove his sandals because that ground has been made holy. It's not holy because Moses is there. It's, It's not holy because it just happens to be a holy spot. It's holy in Exodus 3 because God is present. And so this commander of the host of the Lord, this this, uh, commanding general, I don't believe is a human being like Melchizedek sent by God. And I don't believe that it's an angel sent from heaven to carry a message. I think it's Jesus himself in a pre-incarnate appearance. He is standing and manifesting himself in a physical way. For the purpose of reminding Joshua, you are not alone. For 40 years, all of Joshua's life, Joshua came out of Egypt as a young man. For for the last 40 years of Joshua's life, the physical presence of God has been visible in the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. And now that's gone. They have the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle. But Joshua like Moses, is now responsible for leading these people. And I think that the Lord wants Joshua to know you're not alone. But there's something else that's very important here too. Joshua says to him, are you on our side or on their side? And the Lord says to him, I'm I'm not on anybody's side. The question isn't what side God is on. The question is whether you're on God's side. The Lord is going to go to battle The Lord is going to go to war against the city of Jericho and he's going to bring judgment on the people there because of their wickedness. And he's going to in part involve his people, the Israelites, in doing that. But the Israelites have got to submit themselves to God's purpose and God's plan. It's not whether or not God is with them. 
but whether they're with him. Chapter 6, verse 1 continues right on. There's no break in the text. It's explained to us that Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went out and no one came in. The gates are closed and barred. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and the valiant warriors. You can notice there that he doesn't say, I will give Jericho into your hand. He says, I have given Jericho into your hand. That's already been decreed by God. That's already been established. You shall march around the city, all the men of war circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Also, seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And then on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout and the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people will go up every man straight ahead. That's the instructions. That's the instructions. How are we going to do this? Joshua wants to know. And the Lord tells him, here's your instructions. Now, this is not a great battle plan. This is just not a great battle plan. He doesn't tell them to get into an attack formation. He doesn't tell them to build a siege wall. Uh, You know what a siege wall is? You've got a city and then you build actually two walls you, you build up two berms so that you can travel in the middle and you're safe and protected from the people in the city and you can prevent anybody from getting out. That's what they built around Jerusalem on more than one occasion. The Lord doesn't say, get a bunch of spears. The Lord doesn't say, chop down some wood. I'm going to tell you how to build a catapult. He says, I want you to get into a certain formation and that formation is the formation of a victory parade. It's the formation of a victory parade. You've got the armed men. Then behind them you have the priests, seven of them with seven trumpets made of ram's horns. Then you have the Ark of the Covenant, and then you have more men behind them. And the Ark of the Covenant is in the position of the conquering general. You watch those old movies about Rome. Whenever the city is defeated and the Roman army marches in, there's always the general kind of back in the group a little bit where the Ark of the Covenant is. This is a victory march, not a battle formation. Now, what's really striking to me about it is that we began at the end of chapter 5 with the commander of the host of the Lord, with the Lord himself in a pre-incarnate appearance, I believe. And now we have the Ark of the Covenant. Hebrews tells us that there were three things in the Ark of the Covenant. It was a box about four feet long and about 30 feet wide, or 30, 40 feet. Did I say 40 feet? Four feet long, 30 inches wide, 30 inches square. Actually, kind of like this if it was laid down. Probably right about this size. And inside were three things. The tablets of the law, the jar of manna, or a jar of manna, and Aaron's rod. There was, a, there was a time when Aaron's authority as high priest was challenged, and God said, okay, every, all the challengers put the rods down, the shepherd's staffs on the ground, and Aaron's rod budded like it was a 
living tree, and it was a sign of God's authority. What's in the Ark of the Covenant? The law, the word of God, the jar of manna, which is the bread from heaven, and Aaron's rod, which is God's authority. So if, if you haven't made this jump yet, it's okay. The law, the word of God, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word became flesh. Jesus is the word. The jar of manna, the bread of God. Jesus says in John six forty eight, I am the bread of life, which God has sent down from heaven. Aaron's rod, which is God's authority. Jesus says in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me on heaven and heaven on earth. So at the end of chapter 5, we have the commanding general who is Jesus in a pre-incarnate visitation. Now we have the Ark of the Covenant, which is a picture of the Lord Jesus. And the people of Israel are to arrange themselves in a victory procession with Jesus at the center with this picture of the Son of God at the center, so that he's being glorified, he's being exalted. They are to march around the city. Verse 6, we see the, the, the faith and the obedience. Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. Then he said to the people, go forward and march around the city and let the armed men go on before the ark of the Lord. And it was so that when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward and blew the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard came after the ark while they continued to blow the trumpets. But Joshua commanded the people saying, you shall not shout, nor let your voice be heard, nor let a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I tell you, shout, then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord taken around the city, circling it once, and then they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. The next day, Joshua rose early in the morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew the trumpets. And the armed men went before them and the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while they continued to blow the trumpets. Thus the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. Now, if you're a Jerichoite and you're up on the wall and you know that Israel has crossed the Jordan because there's over a million people. And all of a sudden you, you get up and, and there's a crowd right outside the walls and the soldiers go up on the walls and they look down and, and they watch this procession circle the city in silence with the exception of the bleeding of these ram's horns. Um, I, I don't know if... if I can get audio out of this. Or what it'll sound like. What we want to think it, it would sound like is this. Right? We, we want to think when God shows up, there's this big, incredible, impressive thing. And the people of Jericho are just shaking this, this is a shofar. This was recorded in Jerusalem, and I, I grabbed the audio off the internet. It was just recorded in, in recent times. 
So nothing against a ram's horn, but it's not much more than a kazoo. It carries. It's got one note. I've heard other things on the internet where they're, they're playing like a, like a bugle would, but that's not, a, that's not a ram's horn. The guy, the video that I saw, he's got a ram's horn. It's about a 10-inch curve, and he's just blowing on the small end, and it's coming out the big end. There were seven of them, so multiply that times seven. The people up on the wall of Jericho are hearing this go around thinking, what is this? What's going on? And then they disappear. And the next morning, they're back, and they, they run up to the wall, and they do the same thing. And the people walk around without saying a word, just this tooting on the, the ram's horns. And then the third day, they're back, and they kind of walk over to the wall. And then the seventh day, might have been a little bit earlier, early at the dawning of the day, it says in verse 15, And everybody kind of maybe ambles over to the wall, what's going on here. Then on the seventh day, they rose early at the dawning of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. Only on that day, they marched around the city seven times. And so nothing has changed except they kept going this time. But at the seventh time, when the, police, when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city shall be under the ban. It and all that is in it belongs to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot and those who are with her in the house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But as for you, only keep yourselves from the things under the ban, so that you do not covet them and take some of the things under the ban, and make the camp of Israel accursed and bring trouble on it. But all the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the priests blew the trumpets. And when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout and the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight ahead, and they took the city. They utterly destroyed everything in the city both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. Jericho falls. God brings about judgment on the wicked, and he shows mercy to Rahab. We're going to look at Rahab's story next week, so I'm not going to go into into that now. Now, it says in the New Testament that what's written in the Old Testament is for our encouragement. We've got to... Seek to understand where, where Christ is in these things. Otherwise, we're, we're at risk at simply either teaching law or developing moral lessons. Everything that we see in the Old Testament comes in light of what Jesus has done in the New Testament. And so how do we begin to make sense of this? It's a fantastic story of the faith of Israel given this kind of unworkable plan. Uh, there's nothing about the trampling of a couple hundred thousand feet that's going to knock down a wall. There's nothing about a loud shout, shout of noise that's going to knock down a wall. We, we had that big thunderstorm go through Friday night. Big boom of thunder early in the morning kind of woke me up. Well, there, there are thunderstorms all over the world. The city of Jericho had probably echoed with crashes of thunder many, many times. They don't knock walls over. 
by faith, it says in Hebrews 11, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they'd been encircled for seven days. But it, it, it wasn't faith that made them fall down. It was God that made them fall down. It was God who knocked the walls over. It was God who gave them the victory. It was faith that encircled the walls. It was faith that said, we'll follow this plan in detail, just as you've given it to us, and we won't violate it, and we'll do what you've commanded us to do. Even though nobody in the world has ever conquered a city by doing this. No, nobody in the world has ever conquered a tent by doing this. The faith that they had isn't what made God knock the walls over. They believed the promise of God. And then they carried out their actions and lived their actions in light of that promise. I think that it could relate probably to many things in our lives, but I believe that it relates primarily to the gospel. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter one, beginning at verse 18. Paul writes, "For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The word of the cross is the gospel. It's the message of the gospel. It's the message that as human beings, we are born dead in Adam, that we are born in sin, that we bear Adam's fallen nature and we bear Adam's guilt, that for the sake of his glory and his love, the Father sent the Son to be incarnated into human flesh, to be fully God and fully man, to live a sinless life, a perfect life, a flawless life, and to earn perfect righteousness. To completely and utterly satisfy the requirements of God according to the law. To die on the cross then as a substitute, atoning for us, bearing the cost of our sins. He rose from the dead on the third day, in bodily form, the same body that was whipped and beaten and put to death rose again, glorified. And the gospel says, if, if we will call upon the name of the Lord, we'll be saved. That if we will turn away from our sin and repent and believe in Jesus and believe in the gospel, that we will be saved. The world says that is foolishness. The world says that makes as much sense as lining up a parade around a city that's walled. It makes as much sense as establishing a victory parade before the battle has happened. It makes no sense. Paul writes in verse 19, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. The, the world wants to be clever. We see that. We see their arguments. We see their defenses against the gospel. The world is desperate to be seen as clever. 
and having arguments against the gospel. Verse 20, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? It's a rhetorical question. We could rephrase it. Yes, God has made foolish the wisdom of the world. So where is the wise man and the scribe and the debater? They don't dare showing up because they can't actually answer. And all we've got is this foolish message. Verse 21, For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. We'll see more with Rahab next week, obviously, but earlier in Joshua, the spies show up and they're trying to to get an eye on Jericho and what they have. And they learn that they've been discovered and they make their way to Rahab's house and she was not a good person. And she says, we've heard of you. We know what's gone on. Everybody's terrified. Come and hide. And she hides them and then she sends the king's officials away and then she says to these men, please have mercy on us. And they tell her, after we've gone, hang a scarlet thread out your window so that we know where you are. And as soon as they left, she hung the scarlet thread out the window. See, if I was Charles Spurgeon, I'd preach a whole sermon on that scarlet thread is the blood of the Savior. Given as a picture. How can a scarlet thread in the midst of the terrors of war protect anybody? As it turns out, it wasn't necessary because when the city walls fell, her, her home was on the wall. Her home didn't fall. The whole city wall fell except for this one building that was Rahab's place. It's foolish that she wouldn't have tried to get out. If she really thought that they were going to overthrow Jericho and kill everybody inside, the smart thing for Rahab to do would have been to sneak out. But she knew that there was no escaping. See, the Israelites couldn't overpower those walls and she couldn't escape those walls. Are you you starting to see the gospel here? We can't overpower the hearts of the dead. We can't overpower the hearts of unbelievers. We can't beat down the walls of their lives or their hearts. We can't force entry. We can't prize the gates open. And they can't get out. They can't escape the judgment of God. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. It was foolish to have those Israelites line up in a victory procession and go around a city 13 times thinking that that's going to knock everything down. But it was never going to knock everything down. It was always God who was going to do it. 
And, and I see within that procession something very important for us, that they kept the Ark of the Covenant in the middle. And they kept the worship of God going. That our job as Christians is to, as Peter says, honor Christ as Lord in your hearts. Sanctify him as Lord in your hearts. Always being give, ready to give an answer to those who ask a question. To live our lives around the unbelievers that we know. Friends and family and acquaintances and the lady at, at, the, at the mall and the people that we want run across. To live in such a way as to give glory to God. Knowing that if they ever said, why are you doing this? We're going to give them the word of the cross. And apart from the work of the spirit of God, they're going to say, that's stupid. That's foolishness. But if the Lord is calling them, if he is drawing them in that moment, they're not going to say it's foolishness. They're going to say it's the power of God and the wisdom of God. Consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many noble, not many mighty, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast in God. A huge amount of... of, evangelism in our time is based on a front full frontal attack on Jericho. There are 10,000 plus books on Amazon. I looked it up last week. It limits the search to 10,000, but it said that there are more than 10,000. The overwhelming majority of those books are on different methods. How can you, how can you tear down the walls of Jericho? Maybe you can get grappling hooks. Maybe you can tunnel underneath. Maybe if you get the right approach, you can just blow a hole right in the wall. Maybe if you can make Jesus sound wonderful enough and the gospel sound wonderful enough, they'll open their own gates. And there are Christians who stand at the gates of the hearts of the spiritually dead trying to sell Jesus like like a, a, a merchant in a mall. And it doesn't work. How do I know it doesn't work? Because there's more than 10,000 books on evangelism. What works? The gospel. What's our job? To honor Christ as Lord. To live our lives as we, as we circle around that person and maybe, I don't know, maybe you circle around that person in prayer or relationship or friendship. Whatever it is, however you want to take that, I don't know. But you take that and say, I'm going to live in such a way that God is glorified and honored in my life. That if they ever look over the walls of their heart, they'll see me honoring Jesus Christ. But not leaving them. I'm honoring Christ, but I'm not leaving them. And I'm praying for the day, which might be today or tomorrow or a week from now or a year from now. I'm praying for the day when the Lord knocks down the walls of their heart. And when we can move in straight with the gospel. The truth is God brings judgment and mercy through the same gospel. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. I came to divide. 
many of the people that we know, no matter how well we tell the story, no matter how clearly we say it, no, no matter how many movies we show or music songs we play or graphics we show them, are, are going to reject Christ. That's not our concern. Because the Lord is saving sinners. Our concern is those he's, he's going to save. And when the walls of their hearts come tumbling down, to not apologize for their walls coming down, but to give them the gospel and to give it to them as clearly and as simply as we can, like the bleeding of that ram's horn. It's not a huge orchestra. It's not very impressive. But if you're lost at night in the fog and you don't know where to go and you heard one ram's horn, it might be life and death. It might be salvation to you. And for those who who are being called and in that moment are being drawn to the Father, when you give them the gospel, they're not going to hear the foolish bleeding of a ram's horn. They are going to hear Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. We bank everything on this as the church. We bank everything on the gospel. We don't have another story to tell. We don't have anything more sophisticated. We don't have anything fancier or smarter. My prayer is that we would be like the Israelites against Jericho who heard the instructions and said, maybe to themselves, this is a little crazy, but God has said it, so we'll do that. And because of that, there was victory. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would continue to build us up in it, that you would continue to grow us in Christ and transform us into the image of Christ. It is your will to save sinners, and it will be until you bring this time to a close. We don't know what our role in that is going to be. But we do know what you have called us to do. You've called us to be faithful. You've called us to lift you up as Lord in our hearts and to honor you in our lives. And Lord, you know and we know that there are people who are going to uh, use that as an excuse to, to make fun of us and to mock us and to reject us and to marginalize us. But we know and you know that there are men and women out there that you have named. And to them, it won't be foolishness, but wisdom and power. To them, it won't be a a silly sound. To them, it will be a symphony and life. And so, Lord, I ask that we not be discouraged at how many times we have to walk around the wall, but that we continue to trust and we continue to obey you and trust that you will do the work that none of us could ever imagine doing. We thank you and we love you and we praise your holy name. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.